Upper Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. So welcome to Upper Room Frisco. I'm honored to stand here and I'm honored that we, we got to worship together today. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is working mighty things behind the scenes in our church and in our midst. There's just a, uh, for me, I'm seeing just a thread. The Holy Spirit is sowing throughout our meetings, throughout our gatherings. Even the the things that we sang today um, were were preaching the message that I felt like God gave me to preach today. And and I, I only got about halfway through my message last week on what it looks like to steward a kingdom culture. And, I, and so I wanted to continue that this week. And, and I wanted to tell you, um, I've got a bunch of stories and testimonies. It's just fun to remember all the cool things that God has done. But right now I'm teaching in USM, which is our ministry school down in Dallas. Anybody, any USMers or graduates in the room? Hey, 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 hey. Woo, welcome. Well, I teach the, the class on the prophetic uh, but it's not just teaching, right? I actually give them assignments nearly every week to go out and give accurate words of knowledge or words of wisdom, to go out and accurately prophesy over strangers and then come back, they have to record the testimonies. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? Isn't that just amazing? I love a little bit of discomfort. Yeah, the Holy Spirit can't comfort unless we get discomforted every once in a while, right? So... <laughs> um, and so they, they come back with testimonies and one of our young ladies, she said that um, she had, I mean, they had to get a word of knowledge for healing. You guys know what a word of knowledge is? It's when you just, you know a piece of information about someone else by supernatural revelation. And so a word of knowledge for healing is to supernaturally from God know a problem in someone else's body. And, and then there's, there's almost always faith and power present, when you get that word of knowledge, there's just something that happens. It breaks down doubt. And they're like, if, if God knows me and knows that about me, I bet he can heal me. And so there's usually extra power, extra faith present. So one of these young ladies who's part of USM, she went out trying to get this requirement met. And <clears throat> she said that she got near another young woman and felt pain in her stomach, just a generic pain in her stomach. And so she's asked her, hey, this might sound weird, but do you have discomfort, pain in your abdomen? And this young woman said, yeah, I, I'm actually in the, like in the early stages of pregnancy. I'm newly pregnant and I'm experiencing pain and whatnot. And, and, um, and so she prayed for her and the pain went away. And, and then she invited this young woman to church and not only did the young woman come, but the, the pregnant young woman came and brought her mother. They came to church that Sunday because she got physically healed and both the young pregnant woman and her mother gave their lives to Jesus that Sunday at church. <clears throat> I was just thinking about how amazing it is that three generations were healed with one word that that baby is now floating in the womb of a saint and is gonna have a completely different legacy because of it. Because one of our students just stepped out and thought, this might be God. And, and that's one of the things I, I wanna encourage us 
in this morning is that if we don't risk looking like fools, then God doesn't have the opportunity to show off. If we don't occasionally step past our own uh, social anxieties and fears and fear of failure, then we actually won't get to see the greater miracles. Um, I, so the message that I, I wanted to preach today, it, it really actually might make a, a big mess of our church. None of you guys came because you wanted to be part of like a tidy service, right? Like a nice, clean, well-kept, oiled machine. Like we've got clock, you know, countdown clocks establishing, you know, 30 minutes of worship, transition, teaching. And you didn't come for that, right? You came to see manifestations of the Spirit's power, right? That only happens when we welcome the mess. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, I want to give you a quick recap from last week's teaching on what is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I covered a few of the verses where Jesus says things like the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven is within you and the kingdom of heaven forcefully advances or violently advances. And the ways that we can recognize the advancing kingdom is often through signs and wonders. It's often through healing because what happened in the garden is we, we were planted in paradise and we, we were never meant to experience things like death, disease, uh, poverty, famine, natural disasters, but we actually gave the rule over to another ruler, to the usurper named the serpent. And then the serpent came in and brought the dominion of darkness. His reign and rule was the dominion of darkness, but a promise was made from God to Eve it said that from you will come one who will take back the rule and reign, who will crush the head of the serpent. And that, of course, we know is Jesus. And so how do we know it's Jesus? How do we know that Jesus is the one? Well, whenever he saw disease, he healed it. When yeah, he ruined every funeral he went to, right? He's resurrecting the dead. There was famine or, or there wasn't enough food. Well, he multiplied food. They didn't have money for taxes. Go fishing, right? And he's healing people in wild and wonderful ways. And so what he is doing is he is demonstrating that he is a representative of a different kingdom, a kingdom that has more power than the domain of darkness. And he is taking back stewardship of earth and handing it over to his brothers. He's the firstborn among many brethren, right? And so he has handed back over stewardship to us and we are empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit to go and do the very things that Jesus did. Isn't this exciting? This is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of like, once you're dead, you go to heaven. No, he didn't come to get us into heaven. He came to get heaven into us. And so now we're walking around as portals from a different place. We're saying his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, we get to demonstrate, we get to represent the king. This is very exciting stuff, isn't it? Yes. This is what God designed us for. And one of, the, one of the ways that we know that the kingdom is advancing 
uh, entry-level kingdom coming is uh, deliverance from spiritual oppression or inner healing, or uh, it can be at many different layers, but it's sound mind. He didn't, come to, he didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and sound mind. And so Jesus would cast out devils, unclean spirits, demons, whatever you call those gnarly critters, he would kick them out of people and they would come to their right mind. This is entry-level kingdom coming because it's the very first thing that's listed in the Great Commission. When Jesus is saying things in Mark, like in Mark 16, 17, those who believe in my name, they will drive out demons and speak in tongues and poisonous things won't harm them. It's really exciting that we get to do stuff like this. Jesus in Luke 11 uh, demonstrated what this looks like. Uh, a demon that was mute was afflicting a man who was mute because the demon was mute. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that what the enemy really wants us to do is take on his nature? And so this demon was mute. And so when Jesus drove out the demon that was mute, the man who was mute then was able to speak. And the, the religious challenged him at that moment and, and said, it's only by, you know, Satan that he casts out these demons. You know, it's by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. And Jesus is like, that makes no sense, y'all. Why would, why would that guy fight against himself? And then he says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I've seen many, 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 more than I can remember, moments of straight up demonic deliverance where someone was highly oppressed, not acting like uh, in their right mind, not acting like an image bearer of God, but afflicted greatly. Power was present and they got fully delivered and came into their right mind, often giving their lives over to the Lord. And um, it's, it's not even technically a spiritual gift to drive out demons. It's just, it's just our nature now. We shine, and so anything that is in darkness can't hide when we come close to it, right? Okay. Uh, one time a guy came to one of our church services, and I didn't recognize him, and I was supposed to be giving words of knowledge for healing or, or, or prophetic words, and the way we usually do that is we point to individuals, we ask for their name, and then we share with them what we feel like God showed us about them in a strengthening, encouraging, com and comforting way, right? That's 1 Corinthians 14, 3. And so I didn't recognize this guy, and I thought, perfect, it's a newcomer, let's like, see what happens. And I called him out, and um, I, had this, I had this word, and I, the Lord... I felt like the Lord showed me. Now I say I feel like because I'm never certain, right? It's like really, really rare that you're super certain about something God said. But I felt like God showed me that he was graduating with a finance degree, but all he wanted to do was be an actor. And so I called him out in front of everyone, asked his name. I said, hey man, this is either completely right or completely wrong, but I'm just gonna go for it, I'm gonna risk. I felt like you're about to graduate with a degree in finance, but all you wanna do is act. And then something else came in that moment. And I said, I see you nailing an audition. And his jaw dropped and his friends started freaking out. 
And judging by their uh, reaction, there must have been something right about what I said. And so I went and interviewed them, which is really good to do in a group setting because then people in the room, all of our faith is built up. We're all edified when we, when we realize, oh, God truly does still speak. And so I interviewed him and he's pretty dumbfounded. And he's like, he basically says, I hate church. I didn't want to be here tonight. My friends manipulated me into coming. <laughs> he said, but on the drive here, I was complaining to them. I'm about to graduate from SMU with a degree in finance, but all I want to do is act. This is, those, are my, the, he, those are the words he said to his friends on the drive to church. And I told them, no, like no one knows this, this except for my friends. I told them that I signed up for an, an audition. And so this guy who came in angry at church, didn't wanna be there, didn't believe in God, in that very moment was confronted with the reality that there is a God who speaks and who loves him. Y'all, he, everyone has a choice, right? We all choose to yield to God's love or resist God's love. But in that moment, it was so powerful. It was as if he didn't have a choice. He was like, he basically it was like, I'm giving my life to this. So he, he gave his life to Jesus. Uh, we took him to my place. We baptized him in a kiddie pool in our backyard. <laughs> and then he joined our ministry school. And, <clears throat> but here's the thing. He wasn't like, he wasn't a cleaned up fish. He was a caught fish. And so, <laughs> Okay, and so he, he, he came to ministry school and we did this thing where we would go to a camp at the beginning of ministry school for, uh, we used to call it, <laughs> guys, this is how ridiculous I was when I was young. We called it D&D &D weekend, detox and deliverance weekend. <laughs> we called it detox and deliverance and you're coming to camp and it's gonna get wild. And, <clears throat> and so we were, this one night we were worshiping and we had a whole band, it was just awesome and it was really anointed and I just felt the presence of God and I felt like the Lord whispered, there's power present for people to be delivered of spiritual oppression from the past. And so I just grabbed the mic and I just shared exactly what I said. I said, I feel like God told me that there's power present to be delivered from spiritual oppression of the past. And guys, when I said that, all chaos broke loose in the room. I didn't realize how many demonized Christians there were in the room. <laughs> Y'all, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that people who I, like women who were in their 50s, who are mothers and dignified, began screaming like animals and hiding under bench pew, like pews, under church pews. There were people who ran to the corner, got under a chair and were shaking like a, a raccoon in the cold. The guy that uh, gave his life to Jesus through the word of knowledge, I went up to him and I, well, first of all, I, I looked around the room and all my leaders were befuddled and, and they're like, what do we do? And I was like, just go get them. <laughs> just, just go get them, I don't know. And so I go, but I go over to the, the young man who's recently given his life to Jesus through the word of knowledge. 
And I, I put my hand, one hand on his chest and one hand on his back and his arms shot up sideways so fast and hard, he grazed my nose. It was like a centimeter away from breaking my nose. He went, <laughs> and he's shouting at the ceiling. And I was like, it's time to come out of him in Jesus' name. <laughs> and he takes off running. <clears throat> he punches a hole through the wall. I'm renting this camp from Lutherans. <laughs> There's a giant hole in their sanctuary <laughs> drywall now. <laughs> so I pray for him. It seems like some breakthrough is happening and it seems like there's still some stuff that needs to be dealt with. And there's, there, I've got leaders scattered around the room casting stuff out of people who are screaming under benches. And, and it was awesome, right? Like, that's a church service you remember. <laughs> it was a power encounter, right? There, people came in with darkness. It's not, like, it's not like they came in that room and something that we did caused them to have a problem in that moment. No, they had that problem their whole life, but the light enlightened the problem. So like when that stuff begins to manifest, take heart. It's actually a good sign because what used to have the power to hide is having its power taken away. And so um, this kid, uh, he went through our school and he confided in me at some point. He's like, this whole time, whenever you would teach, I would hear voices in my head telling me to kill you. And I was like, that's awesome, man. <laughs> I know that. I know, I know whose voice that is. And he started laughing and we ended up, you know, he's obviously a friend. He's gone through so much deliverance and so much, so much healing. So um, anyways... Um, we have power in his name and we're never to be afraid of, of anything the enemy might threaten us with, right? There's no reason to ever be afraid. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so a baby Christian with the spirit living inside of them is more powerful than all the armies of darkness. The, we're not on the defense, We're on the offense, advancing mightily. There's one time uh, I taught USM, and it was actually the, the week that I taught on demonization and, and like dealing with spiritual oppression. And no joke, you can't write this stuff. At the end of class, someone comes in the room and says, Jeremy, you're needed in the prayer room. Someone is manifesting a demon. <laughs> and so I went to the prayer room, and <clears throat> there was a guy who was acting really squirrely. And I, I, I always smile and say, hey man, do you, do you realize like that what you're doing, you're, these voices are coming out of you, you're acting in a way that's making people a little alarmed. And, and often the person speaks and says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what's going on in me. And then, and then often the, the spirit will, will jump in and say stuff. And that's what was happening. Sometimes I was talking to him and sometimes I was talking to the spirit. And I said, hey, I think if we go into this uh, back hallway here, um, we can deal with some of the stuff that you're, you're dealing with. And, 
And I do that often because one of the plans of the enemy is to shame people and to make a spectacle of them. And so I, I, I asked him to come into another room and I began to um, pray and, and it, you know, his tongue starts shooting out like a serpent and he's saying all these nasty things to me. And, and I'm just smiling and I'm saying, hey, you're gonna leave him today. And, and he bows up and, and, and actually I said, spirit of rage come out of him and he bows up like he wants to fight and he th- throws a hand up like he's gonna punch me and I say, you're not gonna hit me in Jesus' name. And his hand is restrained from being able to hit me. Fun stuff, right? <laughs> Last week, I, um, I started talking about how, what it looks like to steward a kingdom culture, or what it looks like to steward uh, power. And I, I mentioned John Wimber and, and the Vineyard Movement and all the healings that came from that. There's a guy who was alive at the same time. He's a, a spiritual father, a giant of the last generation. His name is Jack Hayford. And he recently uh, went home. He graduated into the arms of the Lord. And um, one thing he said once is, it seems that God delights to keep us slightly embarrassed, (laughs) if not greatly embarrassed at points. (laughs) What we do is is bizarre to the world. Uh, If if we're out of our minds, it is for the sake of God. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter five. And so I think that Jesus was the type of guy who made a lot of messes. He got invited into nice places, but never invited back, <laughs> right? He would show up to a rich person's house for dinner and he would leave, in his wake would be a puddle of perfume and offended religious people, you know? <laughs> Proverbs 14.4 is a, is a great metaphor for welcoming power even at the expense of the mess. And last week I made a, a proclamation over our church that we would continue to make room, uh, be a community that embraces the supernatural even at the expense of presentability. The moment we become more interested or preoccupied with how we appear to the world than how we represent God is the moment we turn from a movement into a monument. We can't have the harvest without a big mess. We can't have the harvest without power. This is Proverbs 14, four. It says that when there is no ox in the stable, the stall is clean. But with the power of the ox comes great increase or comes the harvest. Which means that if you don't have a powerful ox of the Holy Spirit in your stable, you're gonna have a clean church. It's gonna be tidy. But if you want the harvest, it's gonna be messy because the Holy Spirit messes things up. Often the the biggest opponents to the current move of God are members of the last move of God because we're saying things like, it didn't look like that. That's not God. That's not how God did it before. Jesus never healed the same way twice though. 
I've had a, a lot of crazy stories over the years, and some of them in, in this very room, but I want new ones. Not so that I have like trophies to brag about, but so that I can show that we have a good God to brag about. And I promise you that we are going to see mightier, more powerful, more signs that make you wonder are going to happen in our midst. If we become people who are in it for the weird and wild and wonderful, I'm very thankful for the small beginnings, but I know that there is a God who eliminates cancer with a word. I know that there is a God who straightens scoliosis. I know that there is a God who heals even uh, birth defects and things that we think people are just going to deal with for the rest of their life. I know that there is a blood that speaks a better word. So what are, what's something that keeps us from risking for God? You know, people who invest understand the concept of risk and reward. The, the biggest rewards come after the biggest risks, right? And so what are the things that keep us from risking the God? risking for God. In Luke 19, Jesus tells this parable about minus, M-I-N-A-S, which is a unit of money. And in this parable, he gives money to three different people. Three, the, the, this king gives money to three different stewards. To the first one, he gives 10. 10 minus is worth 60 grand, y'all, in today's money. So it's not a small amount. He's given 60 grand. And then the next guy is given five minus, which is about 30 grand. And the next guy is given one minus, which is about $6,000. And then tells them, basically, go do business. You know what he didn't do? Is he didn't tell them how. <laughs> Did you ever catch that? He <laughs> said, so basically, good luck out there. He didn't hold their hand through every decision, did he? And then he returned and he goes to the guy that he gave 10 minus to and the guy said, I, I've invested and now I, I, I've doubled it. There's, here's 10 more. And then the, the king said, to you, I'm going to give 10 cities. What? The guy went from managing 60 grand to being the governor of 10 cities. Then the next guy says, the, the five minus that I gave you, I doubled it, here's, here's five more. And, and the king's really happy, he's like, well done. I'm gonna give you five cities. So this guy went from managing 30 grand to being in charge of five cities. And then the last one said, the servant said, I knew you to be a harsh, hard man reaping where you don't sow. And so I hid the talent or the minus that you, that you gave me. Here is what's yours. And at this, the king was not pleased. and said, 
you could have at least put it in a, in a bank account. Like, you gotten some, some kind of return. If you, if you thought that I was so harsh and hard, then the, a better thing to do would have been to try something, anything with the money. Something recently began to stand out from this parable for me, and it wasn't necessarily the, the, the traditional teaching. Um, what stood out to me was the phrase, um, you reap where you don't sow. And so I began to scour scripture, trying to find that phrase, trying to find anything that would actually say that God reaps where he doesn't sow. You know what I found? I found the opposite. He reaps where he sows. He sends his seed on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He is actually one who abundantly throws out seed. Also, the guy said, you're a hard, harsh man. Is that what Jesus is like? What if the reason this guy was afraid to risk for his king is because he had an unhealthy fear of him? If he believed lies about the king? What if the reason we're locked up in fear of failure is because we're believing lies about our good, good father who is abundantly patient and gracious. His gentleness makes us great. His kindness leads us to repentance. What if the thing that keeps us from risking for God is a false concept of his nature? What if we believe things about him that are just not true? What if when I stand before the Lord, he's not asking me what I did with money. He's asking me what did I do with the message of his kindness? I have a friend who is uh, currently writing a book on the grace and mercy and kindness of God. And he says very challenging things often, uh, things that challenge conventional thought and he was telling me what he's planning on doing with this book. And we had another friend sitting there with us. And it was, it's so countercultural to American Christianity. My buddy was like, have you ever thought about releasing it under a pseudonym so that you don't <laughs> directly come under all the, the backlash? Because people are gonna hate some of the things that you say. They challenge the way they usually think about God. You're making God out to be way more kind than people give him credit for. And this guy who's writing the book, he said, no, I would die for this message. I'll never forget that. It greatly challenged me to never back down on preaching the truth that I feel that God has revealed to me. Right now, there is a civil war in the church it's over the goodness of God and it manifests in many different ways. Half the church wants to be led through rituals or what's worked before, what, what is comfortable. That's half the church and the other half wants to be led by the spirit, right? It's the, the tidy, 
cleaned up church and the messy, messy wild church. And, and both sides of the church at this moment have all sorts of accusations that are right and wrong that we fire at each other. Isn't this true? Anybody spend any time on Facebook? Um, <clears throat> We've been using our our swords of the truth against one another. Um, And in a civil war, uh, God needs Abraham Lincoln's. One time the Lord was sharing with me about what's going on in the church and what it looks like to move in the spirit, what it looks like to steward a supernatural culture and, and, and then the backlash that comes from the religious demons, um, and <clears throat> he said, I need my Abraham Lincolns, and I, I asked him, like, and I'm going to need you to explain that to me, and he said, Abraham Lincoln had a task that was harder than any other leader of an army in a war. He had to defeat an enemy without villainizing them. He had to defeat an enemy without villainizing them because it's a civil war. After the war, he is going to need to reunify the nation. And so Jesus began to reveal to me that we have to be ruthless against the ideologies of religion and love the people who carry it. Because he is more interested in unifying us after all of this, within all of this. He's interested in connection over correction all the time, right? And so he said, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns, the people who will fight this war against religion without villainizing people who carry these religious ideologies. And then he said that to me in a prayer set, in, in a prayer, in the prayer room one time. And after that, I left the prayer room. I was driving home. I get a phone call and it's a number I don't recognize, which usually we screen those, let them go to voicemail. But... I just felt prompted to answer it, and I said, hello. And the guy on the other line, on the other end of the line said, hey, is this Abe? <laughs> and I was like, as in Abraham? He's like, yeah, is this Abraham? <laughs> and sadly, I said, I think you have the wrong number, because to this day, I wish I would have said yes and to find out if it was an angel. But anyway... <clears throat> I knew that that was like the Lord putting an exclamation point on what he's saying. So um, one of the things that comes against us in our minds is this idea that if you can't find it in scripture, then you have to throw it out. And here's the thing, that comes from really good intentions of keeping people out of error and maintaining a safe environment. Unfortunately, a God who has no beginning and end cannot fit into a book that has both. He's bigger. The book doesn't contain him, it reveals him. The best thing that the book has ever done for us is to show us Jesus and that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And now we can go to the book through the lens of Jesus and then it becomes a living word and not death, as Paul says. And so we go to scripture, viewing it through the lens of Jesus and then there is life on it. But the problem with saying things, if you can't find it in scripture, then you have to throw it out. That means that 
You know, we do background checks on our children's ministers, right? That's not in scripture. John Wimber went to the Toronto outpouring where people were laughing like crazy. The the spirit was manifesting in a new way. And John Wimber, who was the leader of the vineyard movement said, threw it out. He said, I can't find that in scripture. And they threw it out. You know what John Wimber shortly did after that is he went there and repented and said, this is a move of God. The Puritans couldn't find quaking in the scripture. And so they killed Quakers. God can move any way he wants. And there's not always a word for word scripture address to back it up. All of scripture points to Jesus who points to the father. And so a better way to think of it is, is what we're doing line up with the nature of God's love The fruit from this, does it reveal a good tree? These people seem to be more joyful, free. Maybe that's the devil? (laughs) We we really should laugh at that. And then the Bible even gives us permission to go above and beyond. It says that greater works will we do in his name. Greater works than Jesus will we do in his name. The Bible says that we'll go above and beyond what we imagine, doesn't it? It even says at the end of the book of John that if everything Jesus did were recorded, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain the books that would be written. Right? This is uncomfortable, isn't it? It, it, it? Like, Jeremy, you're leaving us wide open for messes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. At the turn of the century, Smith Wigglesworth was at a meeting and uh, someone came in uh, carrying an infant that had died. You know, in the, in the, back then, our human experience was a little bit more gnarly. We didn't have access to medicine. There was a lot more death. And so in walks a family with their, their dead infant. And Smith Wigglesworth from the stage, this is a super famous story. You can look it up. He takes the baby and kicks it and it lands alive in the mother's arms. Now there, I looked, I looked in the Bible guys and there's no dropkick anointing. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was twenty two, <laughs> let's get a little bit more uncomfortable, y'all. When I was twenty two years old, I had a friend who was diagnosed with testicular cancer. It was really bad. He, all of his hopes of having a, a family and and a lot of the things that humans are meant to enjoy in life were he was devastated. He came to one of our uh, prayer groups and um, <clears throat> we got so mad at cancer, we decided we were gonna just pray for him and, and, and hope for a miracle. And, and uh, one of my buddies, who's actually not here today, Vincent Corcoran was here, there for this miracle. 
he pulled out a sticky note and said, hey, a pastor gave this to me. He said that this, just treat this sticky note like it's a leaf from the tree of healing. And I want you to go and apply it to the affected region. <laughs> and the guy's like, are you serious? It's like, so he takes the sticky note, goes to the bathroom, comes out a minute later, and he, we're like, so? He's like, the deed is done. <laughs> the next day he goes in for his final x-ray. They're gonna schedule the, the surgery. He comes out of there um, and he begins calling people, telling him, telling everyone that the doctors can no longer find any cancer in his body. He's been completely healed. I tell that story, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's incredible, right? I mean, the guy was going nuts. I have a friend who... Uh, <laughs> that story spread all over our hometown and brought many people to faith. It was like crazy. Like, you wouldn't tell that story unless it was true, you know? Like, whoo. Okay, so. Um, I have a friend who went on a mission trip uh, where they were gonna be traveling through remote parts of Germany and, uh, and they had a, co a connection there that would make it so that they gathered gypsies, uh, which is still a thing. I found out German gypsies. And, um, and so they would set up, uh, it was like a big tent revival kind of situation. And these are buddies of mine from ministry school. And uh, this girl named Nicole was there and she... <clears throat> Uh, a stranger came up to her for prayer and Nicole had a translator and she began to pray over this guy in tongues. She didn't know what else to do and he can't understand her anyway. And the, the guy began weeping and like, look, like with, with a look of shock on his face and through the translator, I, Nicole learns that she is praying in his, not just German, but gypsy German dialect from his region and praying for his family members by name. That's kind of in the Bible and, you know, in the outpouring. I'm just saying that God is really creative and, and if he wants to manifest and heal, he's going to do it however he can. And sometimes the way that he heals someone is the healing that the audience needed also. He, he does things in weird ways because often he offends the mind to reveal the heart. The control spirit has put the church into so much fear that they have more faith in the enemy's power to deceive than the shepherd's ability to lead.
Now I'm gonna be pastoral for 30 seconds. I understand that people uh, get weird and wild and I, I would much rather have uh, an atmosphere of freedom where that can happen so that power can be present than to uh, control people's behavior. As, um, when, we, when we do that, we stifle and the spirit and we remove any opportunity for actual healing to happen. Um, Often people will say things well, like when they do something crazy and you're like, I don't know, I don't know about all that. They'll say, well, God made me do it. Now, this, Paul had to address this at the, in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was wheels off, guys. Like they had, like every, every gift of the spirit was manifesting like all the time. And Paul even said to them, you don't lack any gift while you're waiting for the return of the Lord. And and they were doing really dumb things and really awesome things all at the same time. And, and when Paul is trying to give them some, uh, some train tracks to run this powerful train on, he's saying things like, you guys know that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, which means you can't just go around saying, God made me do something. You actually choose to do things. So your spirit should be subject to your will, okay? So that's me being pastoral for 30 seconds. Um, here's, here's the thing. When, when I stand before God, when I meet him face to face, I want like Father, Son, Holy Spirit to walk up to the gates and th for them to be like, you made us show up in rooms that we weren't planning on. You started revivals that we didn't really ordain. You said things in front of crowds that made it so that we just, we felt compelled we had to manifest. And I'm proud of you, son, welcome. Well done. Because we can't outrisk his faithfulness. We will actually be doing things that we feel like God might have said. And God's like, yeah, I didn't really say that, but I love that you risked and so I'm gonna do it anyway. Let's stand and pray so we can have lunch and continue to enjoy the Lord throughout the rest of this day. God, we thank you for your power. We thank you that your power is present. And can I have the ministry team come on up? Thank you, Lord, that your power is for today, that you didn't stop talking when the book was finished. We thank you, Lord that our faith doesn't have to rest on any fine sounding teaching, but on demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into greater realms of your power and to see amazing things done through the name of Jesus. I pray for my friends in this room that you give us wisdom and revelation, that you would give us heavenly strategy and you would give us crazy risk-taking abilities. In Jesus' name, amen.